Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast, a place for those who are committed to change the definition of leadership. Now, in today's episode, we'll be discussing the importance of having more women in leadership, leadership roles, and why that's crucial for businesses and organizations to have a more diverse set of voices leading the way. Now, our guest today is Sam Hammett. Sam is the Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Verizon. Now, Sam brings a rich background in talent development, where she implemented a culture of continuous learning and created strategies to reinforce talent readiness. Now, together, we'll be discussing ways to empower women in the workplace, how to prepare for the future of work by applying employee-centric methods, including offering more flexible work hours and creating a safe and supportive work environment, and how we can start empowering women in the workplace as a transformational force. Now, before we get started, please click the like button below, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glenn Yopis. Let's get started. The 2022 season of Personalization Outbreak Podcast is brought to you by City of Hope, a world leader in the research and treatment of cancer, diabetes, and other life-threatening diseases. City of Hope has been ranked among the nation's best hospitals in cancer by U.S. News and World Report for over a decade. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org. You are listening to Personalization Outbreak, a podcast about the collapse of traditional corporate standards in today's more personalized world. I'm Glenn Yopis. I'm a leadership strategist, author, contributor to Forbes, and founder of the Leadership in the Age of Personalization movement. On this show, I'm interviewing executives across multiple sectors to find out how the balance between standardization and personalization can exist. Welcome to the show, Sam. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, Glenn. Of course. It's a pleasure to have you. And as you know, and as we discussed offline, Sam, I mean, leaders in organizational cultures today, you know, they suppress individuals without even knowing it. I mean, we've unconsciously have found ways to keep people functioning far below their full capacity, reducing employee engagement and productivity. You know, it's time for us to design a new leadership model that moves us away from stifling one's authenticity to a mindset that unleashes their individuality. And there's some critical universal truths here, that we all have value, uh, we want to be included, that we are worthy, we want to be seen in our full humanity, and that we're unique and we want to be ourselves, that we have experience and insight and we want to do more, uh, that we have ideas and we want to explore our possibilities. Now, I've come to learn uh, from you, Sam, that Verizon is fully committed to helping women develop skills and uh, their competencies to see and seize growth opportunities in their career. But you also are a very passionate advocate around this work. Why does this work matter so much to you, Sam? No, I think, well, first of all, if it doesn't matter to someone, uh, then they're on the wrong train. So so they they could get off of that train and get onto another one. We've all seen the data that shows that this makes a difference in your your engagement with your employees and with your business results. 
period. There is no other reason that you need to have. But setting it back a little bit, Glenn, to kind of the point that you opened with, I mean, let's be real. I tend to believe that society and much of the world today was designed around the married male. And we haven't really evolved that much. So, you know, when you think about work, you think, how is the design? What is the typical day? We tend to have in our systems a one-size-fits-all approach. Mm. Let me tell you, one-size-fits-all rarely fits all, almost never. And it lacks the ability for us to give flexibility. I mean, what have we learned over these last two years of this pandemic? And certainly it has been true for women in the workplace is that we didn't have the right system. We did not have the right system to support people, parents, and specifically working women uh, with children. And so I think without further ado, we have been propelled at mock speed for a change that has been needed. And if we don't fix the system, we're, we're going to continue to be up against uh, these problems. And it goes all the way down into not only do we need to get now get women back into the workplace, many had to leave, but how do we continue to propel their careers? And I think this is where corporations have a massive responsibility to fix the systems that are residing within their own organization. Things well, like performance talk- management. <laughs> Keep going, Sam. Keep going. You're setting the tone today. <laughs> no, to take it where you want it. I just, I, I think that's, you know, fixing the system around these things and what we have learned, we will be missing a massive opportunity if we don't take advantage to fix it now. Well, Sam, since you just took us right out of the gates, um, there's no secret that women experience disproportionate barriers entering and re-entering the workforce as well as advancing in their careers, all of which was exacerbated by the pandemic. Can you tell us more about the issues women are facing at work? So so first of all, there is the, how do I do work? The feeling like you have to choose, right? Between a family and work. I think that problem absolutely still exists. Have we gotten better? Sure. Have we fixed it? Nope. Nope. And we continue to make people feel like you, you still have to choose. You can, you can have it all, but not at the same time. So what does that mean for women? Uh, and then I think there's the, what are we learning about? Okay, if I do take a break, how do I get back in? Women saying either one, I've now, like, we know this, the pace of skills, capabilities, and experiences is, is so fast. So if you're going out for a couple of years, how do you build back up those skills again? How do you build back up your network? which is really important. Uh, And we have definitely, we did a massive study, uh, quite frankly, on the behalf of of women and figuring out what we're going to do. And we found that, you know, 72% of women were concerned about the difficulty of finding jobs that match their skill set. And if they don't match, how do you get that training? Right. Well, I mean, I think it's, I think we're all learning that um, if we're going to advance in our careers, we have to change our skill sets so that we can start redefining what those roles really mean. And I think that, you know, women see opportunities in everything. They anticipate the unexpected. You know, there's this sense of growing and sharing opportunities. I mean, it seems to me that it's the women of the world that need to be the co-designers of change in the workplace. Don't you think, Sam? I mean, Glenn, you know, like, what do you, when you want something done, who do you give it to? The busiest woman that you know? <laughs> There's a reason that people say that because we get things done. Um, and you, you do it without it a fanfare. Purpose, you get it done with intentionality. 
but more so you get it done for the betterment of a healthier whole, which if we're going to talk corporate speak, that means the workplace culture. So what do we do next? I know that you're uh, that you're doing a lot of work right now with women's collab. And how does this help women look to return to and remain in the workforce? But more so, how does this help women become agents of change when we need to practice evolutionary thinking at work more than ever before? So, okay, let me put the whole thing I opened with and the system aside for a second, because we could have some real fun with that conversation. Well, I'm coming back to it. I'm coming back to it, but go ahead. (laughs) Perfect. I could talk all day about it. Um, I don't necessarily have all the the answers, but I got tons of questions um, and challenges for many of the people who are sitting in my seat on how we can fix that together. But, you know, as you talked about women's collab and what did we do? First of all, women's collab is really kind of something that we have curated but we don't own it. It's not a Verizon thing. It's really out there. And we have partnered with amazing firms uh, and companies to really help. So we found that nearly 60% of women want to re-enter the workforce. So of of non-working women who are still in working age want to re-enter, but they can't figure out how to do it. They either can't afford the training. um, They don't know how to get their skill sets matched. They don't have the right networks. Um, So tons of potential, tons of promise. But how do they how do they realize their ambitions? Hmm. And so realizing that no one company could really do this. This, again, was a problem that we as corporate America society could really bind together and figure out how to do. And so we created a online virtual community for women, by women, um, but also with amazing allies. Because uh, don't forget, men are really important in this equation. Who's making hiring decisions and training? We need everybody at the table to do this. Uh, And it's been awesome. Free resources, peer-to-peer support. um, uh, Degreed, who is a learning experience platform, is doing the whole thing to actually help put you in touch with the right content. Um, Harvard Business Achieve Institute, female quotient, tons of people coming to the table to support it. And how do we help people re-enter the workforce and give them those resources um, in a way that it's easy and intuitive and the networks have been oh so amazing. So look, I watched a big portion of the event and I was incredibly impressed. So let's go back to the systems a bit, because I think this has a lot to do with how we fully activate platforms like women's collab to be, to be as influential as they can be. So here's a question I have for you, Sam, where do we start? Is it with the individual, with the environment or both? What do you think? I think it's both. I think it has to be both. Um, but I think the environment will help the individual. Nope. So if, Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. I, I think that, so, so first of all, as I opened up, right, I think society, we, we've seen our biggest flaws come to light in the last couple of years, although you'd be blind if you say you haven't seen them in the last couple of decades uh, on how it's built. The, the typical work day, let's pretend for a second that we all work eight to five, uh, which isn't as common anymore. But let's pretend we did. Even the typical work day is before people, kids are going to school and after they get home. So what the hell's happening with the childcare system, right? I mean, we're not designed around that. So how do we fix it? Now, I feel actually like a massive silver lining of the pandemic was it did propel us into an opportunity to think differently about the personalization and flexibility of a workday and what does that really mean? And this is an amazing example of, yeah. wait, why was it one size fits all? That's the 
dumbest thing I've ever heard, right? Like what an ineffective, inefficient way to do work. And we want to talk about the war for talent, which by the way, is very real right now, <laughs> but in a way that it never really has been before. We want to talk about that. It's really not rocket science. Give people the flexibility. Uh, and we know it can work, by the way. We just all worked from, you know, a corner of our basement for two years alone. And guess what? We did it. We totally did it. And what if we did allow people to know and empower them that they actually have the skills, the ability and the knowledge of how and when and where to do their job? I want you to think about these five questions. You ready for this? Because this is exactly what you're talking about. Is that as leaders and as organizations, we need to be thinking about who do we let in? How do you see those you let in? Who do you let them be? What do you let them do? And how do you let them do it? You see, what you just said about the pandemic is that all five of those questions represented the unleashing of one's individuality, which became apparent. Why? Because the systems weren't getting in the way of their independence. What do you think, Sam? I love it. I love the simplicity and the relevance of, of the questions. And I actually think they're the right questions to ask. I boil it down even simpler. I say this all the time. It's, it's stop focusing so much on what needs to be done in, in that parameter. Like I actually think that we limit ourselves and we hinder the ability to be innovative. What we actually need to do, and I love this, who you let them be. What an awesome question, Glenn. Like who we let them be. And this is what, what happens here, Sam, is that the systems don't really allow us to be who we don't. want to be. Because in the age of standardization, the institution, the business defines the individual. And we're at a point where, I mean, look, women have been telling us for years that we need to do a better job yep. of bringing in the voices that know how to solve the problems. It's no longer about the job title and job description that solves the problem. It's about the capacity that people bring. And I believe it's the, the discovery of the capacity that women bring that can be a huge turnaround during this time of survival, renewal, and reinvention. I don't know of any woman out there that hasn't shown us already that they're masters of survival, renewal, and reinvention. What do you think, Sam? Well, I certainly like that talk track, Glenn. <laughs> well, it's the truth. You yeah. guys have taught us that. My mom taught me that. I mean, believe me, I'm a, I'm a mama's boy. Why? Because she, she taught me how to understand in the, not just the importance of the individual. She taught me to respect more than recognize. Yeah. She taught me that it's our job to have each other's backs. She taught me that there's no sustainability without love amongst people who care for each other and want the best for one another. So this takes me to the question of what, how does this all play out in the future of work? Because I don't think the future is in five years. I think it's now. How does no. this all play into that? No, I, I absolutely think it's now. And I really, really believe that if we don't figure out how to take advantage of that and how to react to the now, we're going to lose. We're going to lose we have drastically. Time to react, Sam? 
no, I don't think we have the luxury of time, right? I mean, time is our you know, most precious commodity. And in, in fact, you know, it goes back to the system. It goes back to what you're talking about with women. I mean, if we can't figure that out, but I think we can. I really, really, truly think that we can. And I think that as we think about the intersection between technology, people and place, like we have everything we need to figure this out. We, it, we just need to get out of our own way. You know, Sam, I actually think just from listening to you that women have figured it out. Mm-hmm. The question is, are the systems ready to change? Let me throw this at you. Are we ready to move from solving for diversity to solving for inclusion? I mean, the biggest question I have is, why haven't we figured out how to measure inclusion? I mean, it seems to me that these are the attributes that give women distinction. I think you guys figured this out a long time ago. So what do we need to do in your estimation to create the environment for women to thrive at work? What do you think? It's interesting. You know, we've been talking lots about systems and next steps. And do we have the time? As I think about DE&I and moving, by the way, I'm really proud of the journey that I've seen happen over the last decade and certainly over the last two years. Um, It's been a ton of the needed conversations driving much deeper awareness, uh, education. We all needed that. But I probably speak for a lot when I'm like, okay, great. Let's talk more action. Uh, and, And I think one of the answers to that is, to your point around, well, but are, why aren't we talking about better ways to measure inclusion? And what does that really look like? How do I define success? And what do those numbers and metrics look like? I actually think there is a much needed opportunity to now integrate, integrate what we have been doing with DEI about putting women at the forefront of what we need to how do we solve these problems? Integrate those things we've been talking about into the system. I talk a lot about the talent system and the processes that we use that actually will drive action. Every company has them. I don't care if it's performance management, how your talent ratings work, your formal talent planning, that's your system. Mm. But there is a massive opportunity to think about what is wrong in the system of that today that will actually propel us to build and carry that pipeline forward. But it's about action. So what are some actions that you can share with the audience that uh, might drive them uh, to be courageous enough to act along with you? Yeah, a couple of examples that I would use is everyone loves the topic of performance management, right? I could talk about performance management all day long uh, for a couple of different reasons. Um, And let me focus it in on how I think about it, that it impacts the system. And I actually think that it is a major need for us to evolve if we are ever going to measure inclusion in the right way. Because um, the majority of companies, these systems are very robust in their companies today. And they're really integrated into deeper steps. So for example, performance management, we all know it, we love it, we hate it. Um, of what it talks about and what it's supposed to do, right? It gives you a rating. It's linked to compensation. This is how I know who's performing really well. We use those ratings to say who's in the pipeline for future job opportunities. Give me the best. I'm going to consider to bring them up. Promotion, laterals, et cetera. But how do those ratings happen, Glenn? Hmm. 
really subjective. Very really subjective. It is a whole lot of art and a real little amount of science. And um, the same thing goes for talent ratings, right? When we go like, you know, any companies do this in a multitude of ways, but we say, give me your potential rating. What are they going to do? Are they going to go one level, two levels? Are they going to be the CEO? Listen, again, super subjective, but those ratings go into the way that we plan for, for talent. And I'm not, I actually like, I love myself a good process and a good system. But if the, the major inputs to that are subjective, we have a massive problem. Yeah. So oftentimes I think that we're incentivizing and rewarding the, the wrong things, which then makes me think that sometimes we may be solving for the wrong opportunities. So what can, what lessons can other companies and business leaders take from this conversation that we're having? What well, do you think? Well, first of all, my goal um, is infuse more science. You know, we talked about this notion of um, being in a digital world. I certainly think there's an awesome opportunity. It's not scary at all to think about bringing HR uh, into the world of digitalization. Um, you know, look, we have all this amazing data on our people, they, and they have told us this. They tell us about themselves all the time, what their aspirations are, what they want, what their skills are, their capabilities, their experiences. Um, why aren't we using that? Why aren't we using the data in a more compelling way and integrating that into some of these systems? And so my challenge out there is bring more science, listen to your people. You know, we, we do all of our, a lot of our, our companies that we're all working for, we do such an amazing job about being customer centric. Why aren't we more employee centric? Well, that's the question I have. I mean, we've been spending millions and billions of dollars of personalization in the marketplace, but why not the workplace? <laughs> right? I mean, we're both one of the same these days. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I say, you know, we'd all be winning if we were obsessed with employee experience like we are our customer experience and our bottom line. No doubt. No doubt. So, Tell us a little bit about this. How can women who have experienced unnecessary barriers for much too long serve as transformation advocates? Because that's what we're really in search of. And how can women play that role? So I think there's a couple of different ways. Um, one is certainly, I really believe, I know it's, it's, it's tried and true, but you know, women empower other women. And I think considering to rise up together, like how are you using your own network? How are you using the power of that? Because I promise you it is powerful to share that voice and bring that to the forefront. Uh, I think more now than ever, uh, Glenn, employees hold the power uh, right now in, in society and certainly in corporate America and across uh, the globe. So use that power. Use your voice. Employees, absolutely, employers absolutely want to hear that right now. And so as we continue to rise up, leverage the network, leverage, leverage your voice, um, because I promise you, you can make an impact. People are listening right now. We don't have all the answers, but is the broader community? We certainly do. And we can absolutely get precious about the problem together. Sam, as we get closer to wrapping things up here, um, here's a thought. You know, we, corporate America is driven by results, but people want to be in, a, in an organization where they can experiment, maybe apply some of their own capacity yeah. in areas that have been 
ignored in the past, or maybe because we just didn't know one's capacity to deliver those results in a non-predetermined yeah. way. Um, what is your thought around what it's going to take to start unleashing the individuality of people? Because one thing I've learned is that these systems, going back to that, have suppressed people to the point where they've lost any sense of their own identity. How do we shift from suppressing to unleashing? Yeah. Well, I do think it comes back to a little bit of the culture that you're creating and people have to one, trust it. And we don't, the trust is not there today in many, in many places. There has to be psychological safety. Like, great. I totally want to throw my ideas out there. I want, I would experiment. And part of experimentation, by the way, is that you're going to get a whole lot of stuff wrong. But if I don't feel safe to do that and I don't trust the culture that is kind of around me and that's the environment that we're going to be talking about and thriving in. And by the way, seeing examples of it happen around me. No, people are never going to feel, feel free to do it. So a lot of it is, is culture, but it also comes back to, we're talking about like people, what's happening in the workplace today and call it what you want. The big quit, the great resignation. We're all trying to retain our amazing people. Right. I really, really believe that. But I also believe Glenn, it's not rocket science. It's really not rocket science. So, you know, allow, allow this to happen really naturally. And if you have to manufacture those moments um, for people to really do that type of experimentation, to innovate, to truly fail, this is one place where I feel strongly like, stop talking, like stop talking about, oh, I want you to fail. You got to show people that, that they, you're failing, that it's okay to fail and that you're going to celebrate that because it means you're trying something new. Um, really not that hard to be a great leader and make your employees feel really engaged uh, and impactful. I love your energy, Sam. I want to come work for you. I mean, my <laughs> goodness, you have this attitude and this spirit about you that really gives anybody permission to truly be and share themselves. And so I'll, I'll we'll, we'll end by, uh, I'd love for you to, to react to this comment. You know what I've heard is that organizations don't believe that the mission can be more valued than their contribution to it. What do you think about that? I mean, right now, employees want to feel that they're not just as valuable as the mission, but they're even more valuable than the mission because they want to help organizations actually define their missions rather yeah. than the mission defining them. What are your thoughts? I think the mission doesn't exist without the people. So therefore, they they are they are the ones that the mission needs to come from. Who who's gonna who's gonna realize that, right? It's like culture doesn't happen because I wrote it on a piece of paper. <laughs> so so absolutely, your mission is not even possible without the people. So so Sam, this kind of, wait wait I, I need to come back to something, and I think we spoke about this offline. That you're a CHRO that came from fin finance and accounting. How did this happen? I mean, and I want to bring this up because one of the themes that we're touching on, but not saying directly, is that we all have to be in reinvention mode. And I think that there's talent out there within organizations that we haven't even discovered yet. So how did you discover for yourself that you were meant for leading 
people and systems for the betterment of people? You know, I don't know that that it was certainly in my own view, but I would say this to anytime I have a talent conversation and discussion is, are you really willing to walk through that door? And Glenn, you asked the question in terms of, you know, people wanting to feel like they can experiment, they can try new things, you can innovate and you fail. We've got to be ready to do that for ourselves. And trying something totally new, um, you know, I actually didn't want to at first, right? (laughs) Well, when the opportunity came my way, I said, oh, I don't don't think so. That feels kind of soft, Um, not really up my alley. But you know what? Function has evolved more than anything. It's probably HR. Obviously, I have a bias uh, because I'm sitting in it, but there is there is really in a massive business opportunity that sits in HR and the intersection of business and people has never been more critical than now. Uh, and so I tell people all the time, take a, make a bet on yourself, but take risks on yourself. And if it doesn't work, guess what? There's a million other opportunities out there. And that's why this is a good opportunity for you and other CHROs to start approaching the function from it being a cost center to a growth strategy. Yeah. Sam, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for for being with us today. And as we end every show, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't. Do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Glenn. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org.